Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me from across the pond is Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Matt, how you doing, sir? I am doing really well, John. Sorry, I was reading my... I got a can of Dr. Pepper, other uh, sparkling fruit flavor soft drinks with sugar and sweeteners are available. And I've never quite... I mean, it's, since it says so misunderstood, I never realized that Dr. Pepper was so misunderstood since 1885. I always thought Dr. Pepper was kind of made in like the 80s, but apparently mm. it's been around for 150 years almost. But um, we don't often start with uh, beverage talk, but I was literally looking at that as you introed, and I thought, who was drinking Dr. Pepper in Victorian times? But I don't know. Anyway, I'm doing well, my <laughs> friend, to kind of pondering the unnecessary questions of life. I'm doing good. Uh, always excited to talk film with your good self. Uh, I must know you're doing well, keeping Florida safe and well. I am doing all right. Uh, we just had a, a pretty loud thunderstorm for like the last half hour. It just looks, it feels like it just stopped. Um, mm-hmm. My dog was not happy. He doesn't like the sound of thunder. Um, and it seems to have settled down now, but it was one of those earlier this week. It was like constantly looking like it was going to rain and then never quite raining. And then the last two days we've had like major storms about this time, uh, like a mid afternoon shower, which is good because it's been getting unbearably hot. And the rain does help a little bit, um, or at least, you know, it gets more humid, but it's not quite as uh, sweltering in terms of the sun just destroying you because it has been quite warm here in Florida. I wouldn't know what warm is over here, John. You know that by now. Oh, I mean, at least we have AC, though. So, like, you know, yeah, be that helps. A bit more. Carry on. Yeah, you know, we got to do that. But um, <laughs> listeners, this week, we don't have a single movie to talk about. I mean... Uh, mm-hmm. We were going to be talking about Haunted Mansion, but uh, they delayed the release in the UK, making it near impossible for Matt to see. Um, yeah. But it worked out because we've been covering the Fantasia International Film Festival remotely. Uh, it's going on in person only for non uh, members of the press in Montreal, Canada. Uh, I, right. Is that right? It's Montreal. Yes. Sir, yes. Um, and uh it's a place we would love to be at this festival in person. We've covered this festival a couple of times now. Uh, We have not been in person. The first time we covered it was during COVID where no one could travel um, and it was remote for everybody. Uh, This is the first time since COVID where Fantasia is back to in person only, but they have a lot of great movies at the festival. And this episode, we're going to be recapping uh, some of our favorites that we've watched giving uh small reviews we're not going to go into any specific details it'll be all spoiler free uh subsequently we won't have a spoiler bonus episode this week because we're talking about one way too many movies but (laughs) two some of these movies may not be available for the general audiences to see for some time well in fact one of them is actually playing in theaters right now all uh, across the country uh and i didn't know that and i i have it sitting in my inbox but i haven't had a chance to watch it so Maybe after Matt discusses it, I will uh, finally jump into it, but I just haven't had yes. the motivation. Um, there's something, uh, listeners, I think worthy of note called festival fatigue. Um, and it happens more when you're in person because you're you're like literally just exhausted because you're like running from theater to theater. Uh, you're you're interacting, you're socializing, you're, you're eating unhealthy because you're eating between movies. And usually after a couple of days at a festival, you are done. Um, if you've ever been to a convention, a similar like Matt, yeah. you you do the Star Wars sessions frequently. Uh, it it takes its toll on you physically. 
Yes, yes. It can be very tiring and it's 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 never not fun, if that makes sense, but but when you get to the kind of waning end of the event or, or festival, y- you feel it, whether that is watching fatigue or racing fatigue or, or running around a convention, yep. you know, getting content, whatever it might be. You do feel it. And that's just human nature. And we've mentioned it before with every festival we do. We're always we're always honoured and very grateful to to. Uh, report on them and we'd love to keep doing this every year if you listen in Fantasia and all the other festivals as well um, what we do though is we always top load our schedule we'll watch as much as we can to start with to try to mm-hmm. get a head start and then realise oh wait we've also got to write about it and talk about it which again yeah. let's if anyone listening there are many 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 more problems which are a lot worse out there we get that but oh, yeah. we, we also want to make sure what we do put out is of a high quality, which is what we've pr- yep. uh, prided ourselves on since 2016, 2015 time. Um, but like John said, we have man- we've still covered a lot, and these films are only the ones which are within embargo. There is still a lot more that we have seen, which uh, currently falls outside of the embargo for this episode. So uh, we're covering an awful lot tonight, and that ain't even that's not even all of what we've seen. So I think we've done pretty good so far, JB. Yeah, and the other thing, though, like where I I have slowed down on my consumption of them, um, as I, I'm starting my my teaching job is starting to summer's over, so we're getting back to the swing of things. Yeah. Um, and I did get uh, like Matt said, I, I watched a lot up front. I wrote a bunch of reviews, <laughs> and then suddenly I was like, man, I don't want to write more reviews. And the other thing is, there's only so many things I can say. And sometimes I do feel like I'm just repeating myself, even if it's about different movies. It's like, yeah, good camera work. All right, next. Yep. Especially when you're trying to keep things uh, spoiler-free, it can become very daunting to find ways to dance around a plot. And some movies really, they it clicks, and I have so many thoughts and so many yeah. things to say. In other movies, I feel like it's enjoyable. I had no beef with it, but I don't always have something to cling on to, to really like focus my mm-hmm. thoughts on. And if I don't, I, I really sit and just like writer's block hits real hard. Well, I think um, that's the part of the reason. Well, if you watch, sorry, if you watch like two or three in a row, which are, which are decent, or, you know, or as I would say, are fine, you know, they're pretty, pretty average. Then you realize, Oh man, I've got to try and remember kind of bits in there to take from that. When all three of them, for example, were, nothing really special which is what happens when you go to a festival or cover it and you watch between us 30 40 odd films there are going to be some which you know, don't always hit the mark but it's when you get the consecutive ones and you think oh god i've got to try and kind of think of something to write and it's it, it just plays into that quality uh issue again where you don't want to write any the same old stuff but sometimes it can be a struggle to kind of quantifying words what it is you want to say when maybe the film just didn't grab you at all maybe it just didn't there was nothing to it uh but again we maybe maybe we felt that maybe we didn't exactly so this episode uh we're we we are prepared to do a normal formatted episode if time permits but we're also uh there's a chance we may not have the headlines or we may not get into what else we've been consuming just depending on how long we talk on each of these films. But what we've done is we've picked five movies each that we're going to focus on. Uh, Most of them, uh, only one of us have seen. There's a few though that we both have seen. Uh, So we'll both weigh in on those. And then we're going to do like some quick other movies that we thought were worth at least mentioning on the podcast. 
um, that we may not go as in depth on. Yeah. And again, all of this is spoiler free. They're going to be very quick, basic. Like we liked it. Here's what we liked about it. Here's what stood out to us. What some might call a capsule review, just because we don't want to, you know, we, well, it's five hours difference. If we start, if we talk for more than an hour and a half, <laughs> it's going to be past midnight for Matt. So we got to be realistic. Um, we got to do what we got to do, folks. So we're going to get into this. We're going to talk Fantasia so, International Film Festival 2023. These are movies that stood out to us. Um, I think, Matt, uh, we didn't really discuss this part, but we're going to go back and forth. Why don't you start us off? What's the first movie on your list? Uh, I will start off with the first movie I saw. Well, actually, it's one of the first films I saw at the festival that I hadn't seen prior, John. And it is called Red rooms uh, or les chambres rouge this is one of the ones i put on my uh five most anticipated uh list of the preview episode we did because the the premise sounded fantastic uh what i'd seen surrounding it sounded interesting and then it then i found that it was in fact the opening film of fantasia 2023 so you'd think the festival wants to open up with a bang and as far as I'm concerned, I absolutely did. Red Rooms, I thought, was fantastic. It has uh, swept an awful lot of the awards at the festival. The festival's ongoing until the 9th of August, but the uh, the awards, the jury awards, are given out halfway through the festival. They've still got the fan awards to go. Red Rooms won the big one. It won the Cheval Noir competition for best film, and in the same uh, categories are also one for best score best screenplay and best outstanding performance for Juliet Galliepi who is the lead in this film and I and it's her, I believe it's her first ever appearance in a film which is crazy because she's fantastic in this but opening the festival with a uh, a drama or a drama mystery thriller about serial killers courtroom drama child abuse murder the dark web obsessed and perverse minds it doesn't always sound like the kind of one that's going to get the crowds in. It doesn't sound like a hoot, but I thought this film was incredibly, incredibly effective. It's a, it's a psychological thriller first and foremost, and a character study as well of the, as I mentioned, the obsessive perverse members of society. And I found it that had a really, really kind of dread filled atmosphere. I know you uh, had a similar um, thought in terms of the Fincher esque, techniques mm-hmm. um which are utilized throughout uh whether it's a whether it's a long drawn out shot or whether it's the mo- kind of very deliberate low lighting uh, or the reflections used that fincher does so so well um but this is a pascal plant film first and foremost i don't feel like this is pascal plant looking at fincher thinking right i want to make a film like him i don't think he likes that style and uh, and has used and has, and has influenced this film very very well but um so yeah this is a film about as i mentioned it's about it's a kind of a courtroom drama mix of a murder mystery and juliet garyeppi as kellyanne is i think she's sensational in the lead role she builds a character on minimal dialogue and it's all about physical acting so facial and posture acting and it's funny because this isn't a character as an audience we want to root for without spoilers or anything they don't really give too much away about the character or her motivations aren't really explored deliberately in this case but mm-hmm. her actions are what are, are those that you, you don't want this person to you, you don't want to go out for a coffee and a bagel with this person let's put it like that uh, there are some excellent 
excellent sequences of terror in this some really unsettling moments and there's two really really uh, compelling shots in this film i could sit there from sequences but that moments after i'd watched the film i thought i couldn't stop thinking about these particular moments i thought it was haunting i thought uh it was it was very tense very tall i thought it was shocking at times but it's really damn good as well john and the score uh, which I mentioned in my review by Dominique Plant. I don't know if that's the sister or wife or cousin of the director, but the score is very sinister, but at the same time, quite melodic as well. I very much enjoyed it. It looked good, John. It was performed very well. The mystery was great. The kind of switcheroos that happened were brilliant. I thought the the mystery was, was very well done, and I thought the imagery throughout was at times shocking. I really, really enjoyed this, JB. It's in the top 10 of the year for me so far. Oh, wow. I, um, I, would, I did see Red Rooms also. My um, And we I don't know if we said this or not, just in case. A lot of these also have written reviews on our respective sites, so if you want to read it more in depth. Again, I, I think just like me, Matt keeps all of our stuff uh, spoiler-free, um, unless we yes, warn otherwise. But... Yeah. Uh, I, I really did like this film. I, w- I wouldn't go... It's not in my top 10 at all for the year, but I do think it's really great, um, especially if you are a fan of the Fincher uh, mm-hmm. thrillers, because I think that it has a lot with like Zodiac or Gone Girl, um, even uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Fincher's version. Um, it's very sterile in its set uh, design, like the courtroom. I don't know if that's how a Canadian courtroom actually looks, but it's so... like it, it's, it feels futuristic in a weird way, Um there's like nothing on the walls. Everything is real pristine. And that is uh, her apartment is as minimalistic as I mean, she might as well work for Apple. It's so minimalistic. Like everything about the film has this quality uh, that it, it doesn't feel lived in. In a weird way, that's uh, intentional. Everything about it is just I was drawn into the story because of those weird qualities. There was something so uh, unique about it. And I didn't understand what we what the movie was doing or who we were even following um because it opens with the actress whose name i do not remember juliet uh juliet gary epi gary epi i would not have pronounced that correctly um I think and I we follow her in a, a long tracking shot into uh the a courtroom and then we leave her where you're almost like oh this is just some ancillary character yeah. and it starts with the, the two lawyers are giving their opening arguments for this case that is going to be that. the framing of the entire film and the cameras, you know, uh, it's all one take, you know, very, but very fluid movement, very robotic kind of like feels, you know, it's like on a track, um, but no cuts until we finally get catch the eye of the, the woman again and slowly pushes in. And it's just such a unique way to start a film where you don't even know why we're with her, why she's there, what her role is. And as that reveals itself, I was just completely hooked into this film. I, I thought it was really captivating, troubling. Uh, there was a scene late in the film that just I couldn't contain my reaction. Like I, I audibly shouted, um, despite the fact what, no one else was watching the movie. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not permitted to say it on the podcast because we like to keep <laughs> this family friendly. But uh, I was shook uh, in the moment, though, and I, it's without getting into what it was, I am grateful that some of the things are left to our imagination and not depicted. um, Because some of the stuff that is discussed in the film is troubling enough that if they had gone 
to show any of it, it would have been too, too much and would have changed the tone of the film completely in the wrong direction. Um, so I think it does a terrific job of making the horror in your own mind rather than depicting it on screen. And it's not a horror film, but it's horrifying. Um, and it, and it's subject matter, but yeah, red rooms, uh, definitely a great, uh, entry in the festival. And as soon as it is available for people to see, I think Matt and I both clearly recommend it. Yeah, 100%. I, I very much enjoyed it, JP. So uh, Red Room's opened up the festival and opens up the show. Uh, what are you going to throw into the mix now, John? So I caught a film uh, called River, which um, I've not written a review for. This is the first time I'm talking about it. Um, it's by, uh, oof, I'm definitely going to mispronounce his name, but Junta Yamaguchi. Um, I'm not 100% sure of the J pronunciation in a Japanese filmmaker's name, so I don't know if it's if it's junta or junta and i apologize mm. severely for butchering it um but uh in 2020 he did he he made a film called beyond the infinite two minutes which i own digitally but i've yet to watch but the idea of it really caught my attention right um and it's a uh, groundhog day kind of inspired film right the infinite two minutes it's gonna loop every two minutes um and that same premise is applied to River, and I did not know that uh, when Big Tuna uh, explicitly recommended to me that I check out um, River because he's like, you're going to really like River. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I'll check it out. And I was into it, and they, like the loop starts. I'm like, this reminds me of that movie I heard about. And I clicked on the director's name, and I'm sure enough, it's, it's the same. So clearly uh, something he's been fascinated by, and it explores uh, in River as well. Um, just a quick synopsis of the film. The 100-year-old uh, Fujihara Inn stands in the quiet region of Kyoto. Uh, Mikioto is standing in front of the Kibune River at the, bank, the back of the building when she is called back to work. But two minutes later, she finds herself back at the river again. And this happens. Um, it's not just her in a loop, though. Like in Groundhog Day, only Bill Murray knows that he's in a loop. Everyone in this inn knows that there's a loop. And it, it's humorous. It goes very dark at one point. Um, it's it's such a wild kind of journey. It's um, I never timed it to see if it was actually two minutes or if they were just like, kind of like taking shortcuts and saying two minutes or whatever. Um, I found the, the film to be a lot of fun. I thought it was very, very innovative. Even I'm looking at the poster that's on letterboxd and uh, it's a really cool poster. I really, I, I didn't even notice the little details in it. Um, there's a, uh, I think if you're a fan of that kind of Groundhog Day or um, uh, I forgot the name of the horror movie that does it well. Um, Happy Death Day. Uh, oh. I like the first one. Second one's trash. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yes, um, but I really thought River was a lot of fun and innovative, um, well-performed. And I, that's, I think the thing I liked most about it was the tone though, because it, it, it was mostly lighthearted, but it's still, it's dealing with, you know, reality is this, the kind of fear of moving on and there's uh, symbolism with the river um, and, and like what's going on with the people in the story, uh, this kind of fear of moving forward or dealing with our issues and that we're just stuck in a loop. And um, sometimes, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm turning 41 here in a week, exactly a week from today, basically. Um, and, you know, I don't think I'm quite at the midlife crisis point, but I am at that like, Oh man, uh, a lot of things starting to feel like I'm just in a cycle, like I'm in in the hamster wheel thing. And River 
connected with that. Um, so I found it you know, thought-provoking while also very, very engaging and entertaining. Movie I definitely say check out. Sweet, that's one I haven't seen. And as it turns out, the f- it looks like the ones you've got on your list I haven't seen so far, which is going to be interesting for me because... The fan for the festival goes on for another week, so if there's any in there which are which sound particularly incredible, then uh, if they're available, maybe I'll try and get a, a last minute viewing in. And uh, River though sounds like fun. I, I don't quite, I don't mind those kind of um, kind of warped but uh, time movies, like Groundhog Day, and I like the idea of Happy Death Day more than I actually like the film. But um, River sounds decent. My one JB is uh, it's called the first Slam Dunk. My next one is is a uh, it's an animated film directed by Takahiko uh, Inui, who uh, actually wrote a manga series called Slam Dunk, of which this is adapted from. So he's he wrote the manga series, and he's also now written and directed this animated film, which I think is pretty cool. Um, it's an animated film by Toei Animation, and it looks great for one. It's about basketball, if anyone hadn't guessed from the name, the first slam dunk. Now, I'm not a fan of basketball. I made that pretty clear in my review, beginning of the review, that you know I just don't think it's very good. Um, it's fine. I love the colours and the bombast and the spectacle, but it's not for me, like some sports aren't for other people. However, uh, for those who listen uh, to the show uh, for a long time will know, I love an underdog sports story, usually boxing, but I love an underdog story. And the first slam dunk, promise that whilst also being uh, presented in this really really beautiful animation kind of slash cgi and uh, the film didn't disappoint uh, for me it's another another fantastic film i thought from the festival now again not without any spoilers i thought that the film was gonna uh try watch follow the team follow the shahoku high school basketball team as they kind of ascend through the league and through the playoffs till they get to the championship final because that's what the game's about as per the synopsis um but no we the, the, you know they're already there that's in again in the synopsis they are in the inter high school national championship game so the film itself is the game is that final game against ace against the sano kogyo high school who are insurmountable they're undefeated but we watched a game but the game is interspliced with flashbacks of uh, our our lead character Miyagi um his his life his story his relationship with his family uh, and also the other players on the court as well now everybody, almost everybody gets some kind of um backstory here but it doesn't feel like filler it's emotional or it's funny so when we go back to the game it it means that little bit much more now and I thought it was a really engaging way to tell what was otherwise an underdog story it's just you know, it's David and Goliath on a basketball court, but instead we got this greater depth and a more unique feeling, which focuses on Miyagi, but it also allows the other members of the team and the opposition to feel like actual characters rather than just you know supporting teammates. Whilst we just focus on Miyagi, and it made it, like I said, it made what happened for me mean a lot more as we head uh, hurtled to that final buzzer. And you know the final moments of the film or the game were so were captured so spectacularly that I was like like you screaming at the TV during red rooms. I was on the edge of my seat watching the end of this game. It was genuinely pulsating. Oh, wow. I genuinely like the way they the way they filmed it and the way that they the techniques they decided to use and the use of sound and everything like that. I was, like, I was there watching and I was I was rooting 
you know, come on guys, we can do this. Come on. Um, I, I, I thought it was really, really very good. Um, if you want me to be, do what I always do and be a little bit critical. It's a bit long at two hours. It doesn't feel long and there aren't any kind of major lulls in there, but I, I don't think it needs to be two hours long. Uh, cause when I checked the clock and realized, Oh damn, I'm not going to have time to watch another film tonight. I thought the film was running a little bit too long, but there was a real energy uh, throughout this. Really, really, they captured the the energy. They captured the uh, the fortitude of the game so well. The animation is wonderful. It started off a little bit stiff for me, the animation, but it quickly explodes into life, and the basketball scenes are so well done. And you don't have to be a basketball fan to enjoy it. I've seen a few reviews saying that they couldn't really get into it because they don't like basketball. And listen, I get that. I totally understand that. There are some sports where I think, oh, I don't want to watch a film about that because I don't like the sport. But it's 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 a great emotional story. It just happens to be on the basketball court. It's a really good uh, underdog story. There's real emotion in it. The spectacle of the game is always at the front, though. It, it's just very well-crafted, John, and... Uh, I thought this was a really, really good animation um, and one that, yeah, like I said, it, it got me. If a film could get me like that to the point where I'm watching it as if this is a real damn game and everything rests on the outcome, then uh, f- for me, it did its job, JB. So, yeah, uh, I'll use I used a bad joke again. You could say it's a slam dunk, maybe. For me, it wasn't. Oh. Anyway. I thought this was a very good film. Oh. Uh, so seeing, I was very excited having watched uh, like three or four films from Fantasia and two of them, Miss and Redrooms, were really very good. I thought, okay, here we go. So uh, hopefully the rest of the films can follow suit. But yeah, first slam dunk, uh, I dug it. I know this is one that is, is on your list at least. Uh, it's on a list. I have a link. Um, I have not watched it. And it's actually in theaters now. Um, it's not, it's not playing real close to me, but like I could drive an hour and go see it in the theater. Nice. Um, which I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to no offense <laughs> to the movie. It's just like, I don't usually drive an hour to see a movie if yeah, I yeah. don't have to. Um, I do have a, a link. I think it's still good. I'm going to try to watch it before the end of the festival. I just, I, I wasn't like, I actually really like basketball. That's the thing. I, it should draw me in. I don't know what, what it is. It's just not. It's not grabbing me to like put the time into it. Maybe because it is long. Cause I think that was my initial thought. I was like, "Oh, it's animated. It's probably like eighty-eight minutes." And then I think I saw the time. I was like, "Well, that's long." Um, no, no. It doesn't feel like I know. I said it, it feels mm-hmm. a little bit stretch, and it does. There is a stretch feeling to it. I, you know, it, there is, but it didn't feel unnecessarily long. It was just a little, maybe maybe five or ten minutes, or even even just like five minutes of just uh, chop and change and. Maybe it, 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 it's me being hypercritical though, but maybe it will be too long True. for some. I, I hopefully will. Uh, I am feeling again a little stretch for time, and although I will admit also that I've, I've I'm in one of those uh, paralysis modes where like I'm not like I'm so like oh I don't have a lot of time to do things, but then I'm doing nothing, just dreading not doing things. Like I'm like oh, I really should do this, but I don't want to do that, and I'm just not I doing anything instead. Life, but that's where I'm at. Um, so yeah, uh, that said my next movie, I think you have watched, um, it's called blackout. Uh, oh, I have to it's, yeah. uh, Larry Fessenden. Um, it was recommended kind of, uh, I unfortunately didn't like it. Um, I don't think it's bad. Uh, I think it's bad for my, my taste. Um, specifically the dialogue. I, I felt like most of the performances were 
bad. Um, and I felt like the dialogue was terrible. Uh, I made a joke um, where it feels like this, the script was written by someone who read the Save the Doggy Tommy Wiseau <laughs> book on screenwriting because the dialogue feels so unnatural, yet it feels like it's people... It feels like an alien wrote what they think humans sound like type dialogue. And I, I, that I can't ever get past that. And I don't feel like this movie is necessarily trying to be grounded in reality, but that doesn't excuse like cringy dialogue. And that's what so much of it felt like in cringy scenes. There's a scene with Barbara Crampton and Alex hurt that I'm just like, what's happening in this scene? Like it feels so alien and weird. And I like Barbara Crampton. I think she's, I think she does a really good job in the performance, but the scene just feels so out of place. And I feel like that's a lot of this movie. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. There's almost too much going on at times um, where it's like, like there are like Barbara Crampton is only in that one scene. And then like her character's referenced later, but she's not in the movie again. And I get that's that maybe she did a favor for Fessenden. I'm not as familiar with him. Um, and I, I like werewolf movies. Nothing about this one really worked for me. I, I think the the makeup's okay, but even I've I've gone in depth about rules within a film, and I don't understand the werewolf's motivations uh, at all. Like there's a point where like the implication is that he's a werewolf and he'll attack anything, but then like he runs out of a scene and he just kind of looks at a bunch of people and then runs away. I'm like, why? that's not at all what we've been yeah. told to expect from the werewolf behavior, but okay. Uh, and so just none of it clicked for me. Um, this was one of the last films that I watched. So it's also possible that the fatigue just made me, I went in maybe not wanting to watch it. So there was like a, a begrudging vibe with me. I, I don't think that's what the issue is um, because I watched river after this and I could have easily had that same, not immediately after, but still like river was the absolute last movie I've watched from the festival so far worked very well for me this one didn't um i historically uh i love an american werewolf in london but like yep. the other werewolf movie from that era that people often cite is uh the howling and Corey and i on the uh, old burke reviews uh movie club podcast watched the howling and both of us hate that movie like it did not work for us and other people laud it as like one of the best werewolf movies and Corey and i nope it's terrible that's i think might be what's happening with blackout here for me too i think it's like um for me not that but i could definitely see maybe if you're into the howling or that maybe it works for you i don't know um i i like other werewolf movies uh although of the universal monster movies i also think the werewolf is one of the weaker ones and other people love that movie i agree with that uh, but I, I'd much rather watch the mummy or uh, bride of Frankenstein or Frankenstein or Dracula than the werewolf or the, the Wolfman. Sorry. Uh, I'll get it right. Um, but yeah, uh, that blackout, man, I, I wish it would have worked for me. Alex hurt is in the lead of the film. Um, and I don't think he's bad in this, uh, but, but man, I think the, the writing just never clicked for me and it, it really kept me at a distance. I don't want to beleaguer. I'm not trying to badmouth the film. I think uh, maybe you can redeem it a little bit. So it's not just my negativity coming off. Um, I'm not sure I can. Uh, oh. I, will, I will push back. I will push back a bit on the, I, I do think this, I do think Fessenden is aiming for a grounded feel to this because the film is extremely oh. political. Um, yes. Throughout, yeah. it's you've got um, you've got like a very Trumpian businessman. You've got a you've got a white lynch mob. You've got 
gun loving nut jobs. There is, I'd say, there were there is extremely casual racism just thrown about by certain mm-hmm. characters. Oh yeah, but it's it's in service of the story, uh, not just because they fancied writing it. Uh, so he, I, I do think that Fessenden is looking at modern America and and kind of magnifying um, social issues, and you could also then extend that to other places in this uh, in this earth, but it's obviously looking at the United States at the minute, but uh, yeah, no, I can't really say much more about the film that you didn't. I think it's, it's fine. I mean, it is, it is just fine. I thought the characters were very uninteresting. I thought the the pacing was very pedestrian, like deliberately so, but that didn't work. Oh, yeah. Me. Yeah. Very no, pedestrian. real slow. I, I, I liked the horror that we got. I think the, the practical effects were great. And I think the kind sure. of the bloody side of it looked good. And that, that that's Fessenden to a T. He's this kind of indie horror icon. And I reading uh, up about this film, a lot of people were excited for this because he's wanted to do a werewolf movie for forever. So that's why it came with some anticipation at the festival. But yeah, for me, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't really work. It, it, it looks good. You know the the color palette is very muted. I thought it looked good in terms of that cinematography, but I think Fessenden fans will enjoy it. I think that they undoubtedly will. But it just didn't really carry. There were hallmarks of werewolf films, but they've been done better elsewhere. And you know, nothing beats Dog Soldiers for me. But um, yeah, like you say, the, the the dialogue was flat as well. The the lead Alex Hurt is solid, but you know, he he gets the most uh, depth, and he as a character is pretty uninteresting so uh it's more drama human drama than horror and you can get the tone right there but i don't think they did here and this is it it was a decent film was what i thought about it john it wasn't one where i'm ever going to rush out to watch again at times while watching i thought oh this is quite good but then probably 80 percent of the time i was kind of looking at my watch waiting to see what the next film is but i wanted to like it more jb well, I, I feel a little better because, like, I gave it two stars. I think you gave it three on Letterbox, and yes. so, like, but our our actual take on it seems very similar, despite uh, maybe I was a little harsher on the star rating. Um, but yeah, uh, I agree with the 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 actual practical effects and stuff. Mostly worked for me. I don't love the werewolf makeup, to be honest. Um, no, yeah, I, I agree. That, that's you know here here nor there. I think, uh, but I think I do think like the actual like gore and stuff cool. Um, but not, not enough of it for a movie that's a werewolf film. And again, I'm all, I love allegorical horror. I just didn't really feel like it was, I don't know. It almost felt like two on the nose for the allegory. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going for something like here, aren't they? They're going for alcoholism and there's so many kind of allegories and metaphors throughout, but just didn't seem to work JP. So, uh, blackout. Yeah wasn't a complete blackout but it wasn't great either um so uh, i didn't mention my last film won actually uh, first slam dunk actually won the satoshi Kon award for excellence in animation best cool. feature film uh and the next film jb is also a, a festival winner now i picked these five films before i received the email to say what the winners were so maybe that's my taste or maybe i've just got good foresight but my, my next film uh it won in the New Flesh competition for Best First Feature Debut Films, Best First Feature category. God damn, you wouldn't fit that on a trophy. Uh, so Best First Feature, basically. And it's Stay Online. And uh, it's a film in a genre which can work. And sometimes it doesn't work. It is the, the screen life format, the screen life genre, where everything uh, plays out 
on on a computer screen basically via or on a or on a uh, a smartphone tablet on a device basically so think of films like searching think of uh, unfriended uh, and things like that where everything just happens on that one screen or with um sometimes kind of stretch of logic like cctv and stuff but this one it takes place against a backdrop of the ongoing russian invasion of ukraine and this film was filmed in ukraine during the invasion which is still going on uh, and this is yeva Stryonikova's first feature as she's won uh, the award this is her first feature against such a such a damaging such a tragic background and of course that adds this emotive subject matter because it's happening what we see in this film is happening the film basically follows uh, a what a character called katia who is a volunteer in the war effort and she's been given a, a a laptop which has been donated to the war effort and she's been tasked with downloading and installing a covert military app to one of these apps and then passing it on to her brother vitya who's on the front lines and basically this app is a gps um f- uh, lo- location app so they can mm. they, they they can find whomever they need to based on their electric signal uh but when she's waiting for the installation to complete because it's a donated laptop of course it is still logged in as somebody else uh Katia receives a phone call uh, on the laptop from a young boy who's searching for his parents on there so what should have just been a quick download install move on job becomes something a little bit more almost like a search and rescue mission uh which involves those closest to katya um so it's on the screen life format a lot of it is done by uh a, a telegram or whatsapp and emails and video calling uh facetiming uh, and things like that and and the use of this military app to pinpoint people's locations and uh that side of it i think is done extremely well there are times though when it does actually pull away from that format and bec- and there are a few sequences only they're only kind of like reaction shots where it is your traditional uh filmmaking format and it does feel a little bit jarring when that happens i i, I can see in hindsight what they were trying to do trying to give it that you t- take you out of the online world and this is the real world this is what it means this is the emotion coming through but it felt a little bit jarring compared to what we've been getting for the rest of the uh, the film with this screen life format but uh i think this film is really well done i don't think it's a manipulative film it could have been uh, i've seen a few people thought it was quite manipulative i don't think it was i thought it was actually really hard hitting given that we're still living through this conflict and people are still being affected in this way stay online the actual title is a phrase adopted by uh ukrainians in order to be able to communicate with their loved ones to know that they are not dead in this illegal invasion uh so we get a lot of katya katya's mother is is constantly uh contacting her and her brother just to find out that they're okay still um vitya her brother's on the front line he's out there on the streets and we get some really quite uh authentic feeling um skirmishes on the streets and of course then we get the interactions with the young boy Sava who's looking for his parents and some of those I thought were really quite hard to watch um a really really kind of uh, lump in your throat moments and I did I, there's a few times I watched it I had to reach for the tissues because it's just very very emotional um so some elements felt a little bit far-fetched which I will say I think that is the case for pretty much all of these style of films some moments you think 
that is that is convenience uh, or i'll tell you something if i got messages back that quickly i'd be very pleased and i'm not just talking about from like friends john replies back quite quickly actually he's very good um but there are other people that katya speaks to and i'm like damn i know you have to you know write quickly and type quickly but uh, but um I th- you know i believe the situation to be genuine i get again the, the there are actual situations happening but at times i actually felt like i was watching like a voyeuristic kind of documentary like i was watching somebody's life play out uh and that is what was most impressive that, again it doesn't it I don't, I don't think it hits every beat it wants to i don't think it nails everything it tries to but as a first feature i think it's very very well done certainly record uh filmed and shot during the invasion in the ukraine uh, I thought it carried real emotion and hopefully people can watch it and, you know, get a little bit of uh, hope from this or it can present them with the idea that even in the darkness, you know, there's a light at the end of that tunnel. And yeah, I thought it was, very, I thought it was a really, really impressive feature debut and I can see why it won the, uh, the award for it. So yeah, I, I enjoyed this one an awful lot. Very emotional film, John. So I did not choose to watch this partly because I've watched two very harrowing documentaries um, filmed inside Ukraine yes, during the occupation. And uh, I, I wasn't up for a third. Um, even though this isn't a documentary, I, I was just like, I, I can't. Feels um, like it at times. And, and like the fact that they were filming it in Ukraine, I mean, they probably took advantage of that uh, as far as like that hybridization of uh, dramatized reality, you know? Um, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty devastated from the last one. Um, I think 12 hours, 12 hours of Maripol or 12 weeks, yeah. of Mar- 20, 20 days. Uh, I got there. It's, I think it's 20 days of Maripol. Um, it was, it's, it's so important. I think everyone should watch it, but it is, it is hard to watch. Um, uh, my next film is called T blockers. Um, and I watched I think I was almost three quarters of the way through the film before I found out that the director, uh, whose name is Alice Mayo McKay mm-hmm. is a mere 18 years old, man. And this is, uh, her third feature film at eight. God damn. I'm like baffled, uh, by what that. are we and doing in our lives, John? I believe her second film is on shutter, uh, which I don't know the name Sweet. of, but, um, so yeah, like a legit, barely adult filmmaker i believe australian if i'm remembering correctly um and uh i i really enjoyed this film it's a lot of fun um it has uh it's very referential um you know it's it's paying homage to a lot of things that came before it it's camp horror um in the best way i think uh the some of the some of the visual aesthetics are hard for me to look at. There's like a lot of neon early, uh, like where like the whole scene is like neon, like uh, the, the characters are like, you know, a vibrant blue glow. That's like hurting my eyes kind of thing, but it, it is paying homage to uh, movies of the past. Yes. So you have to kind of like respect it, but at the same time, be like I would really like less of this, but uh, the story and the characters. And that's the thing I think is the, the biggest highlight um, as she also co-wrote the script um, the characters are so well lived in. They're so uh, genuinely realized in the film that it is hard not to just be invested. Um, and uh, yes, it is a very um, of the moment film because it is the main character uh, is trans and um, 
part of the story is that, and there's uh, a lot of, you know, very logically on the nose allegory for uh, it that they blend with the horror genre so, so well. Um, And uh, one of the things that I found really impressive with Alice's direction at age of 18 is there's like, it's a horror film and there's a lot of like tension. It's, it's a horror comedy to be fair. Like there's intentional humor built into the story, but um, there's also a lot of heart. And there's a scene where Sophie, the main character is sitting with uh, her brother and they're kind of alluding to recent, you know, like when, when she came out as trans and then not being able to be home there's this like really sentimental scene where you're really just sitting with these two people and it feels so genuine and so sincere in the middle of this kind of campy horror comedy. And it it shouldn't work. And it did because it does feel so sincere and authentic and real. And there's still humor in the scene. Like, even though it's a very heavy conversation, um, but the restraint with the editing, the, the, the chance to slow the film down to allow this character moment it's not something you always get in horror and it yeah. really works because you're invested in this character. You don't want anything to happen to them. And they are in kind of a constant state of, of jeopardy, partly because they're trans, but also partly because of the monster element of the film. Um, and it's, it's just really great commentary and it's, it's so well-structured. And again, as a film teacher who teaches people, Alice's age, it's both encouraging and a little disheartening because I'm like looking at my students, like, why aren't you guys in film festivals yet? Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and if, if any of my students are listening, yeah, I'm talking to you. Show me up. I want yes, to no be more. talking about your film on this podcast. Uh, and Alice, if you uh, have any desire, if you happen to hear this and you want to talk to my students, I think that would be incredible for them to hear from a peer. Um, you know, uh, what, what they should do. Like, how did you decide to do this? And that's, um, again, I was enjoying this movie and then was blown away when I realized how young the filmmaker was, because I don't think it feels like an 18 year old. I mean, there it's definitely low budget. Like you can tell this was like pieced together in the best way imaginable, like Kevin Smith, like clerks level of, you know, doing it, uh, grassroots style, you know, figuring out how to make it work with what you have. And I think that's that it really works because of that, like I, in no way is that a criticism. Like you're, if you're coming into this movie expecting, you know, Blumhouse or a 24 style, you're not going to get that because the budget's not there. But I think the performances are tremendous uh, for what I assume. A lot of these are there. This is their first film or they've only done small movies like this, but they have, they have a talent. There's something really strong in the performances. Uh, again, it's, it's just, this movie. Um, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have grabbed me uh, just like the poster is fine, but it has the kind of the, the modern trope of like, you know, a f- big floating head pyramid thing going on where there's like all the characters are on the poster. You have the, the neon light that I mentioned in the poster, which I, I look at it now and I don't think it's bad because I know these characters, but if I was just scrolling through a wall of posters, which is what you do on the Fantasia website, it wouldn't be one that immediately grabbed me. So I'm glad uh, again, I keep, I will always name drop Tuna. Tuna watches a lot of stuff and he recommends things that he knows will click for my taste. He was completely right with T blockers. It worked for me completely, obviously, as I'm still talking about it, but uh, yeah, check out T blockers. Yeah. I haven't seen this one yet. I had, I not going to lie. I didn't know what T blockers meant. So I, I Googled it uh, before the festival and I, it, yeah. it's a, uh, 
is a, there's a pill, I believe, which uh, stops the body's production of testosterone. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I haven't seen this. The, the, the premise is mental, though. The premise sounds bonkers. Like the actual, like the horror side of it. The um, kind of the I don't want to go too much into it, but yeah, the the horror side sounds wild. But I can see how it ties into the overall story. And yes, Alice Mal Mackay, if you are listening, go and zoom. Talk to John's students. They could learn an awful lot by the sounds of it from um, what you've been doing. And so then they can be on this show as well. We're not just sh- stop showing up my man, JP, but uh, that's fantastic though. You know, an 18 year old director, third feature film. That is fantastic for the future of filmmaking and genre filmmaking as well, which this festival uh, does very well at promoting. Um, haven't seen that one. Maybe I'll check it out though, JP, based on everything you've just said, because it sounds wild. Um, the next film I saw uh, that I want to sorry shout out is a film called Femme. Now, this uh, is only going to be a capture review because it only can be a capture review. Um, it's playing at the festival, but it's not getting a theatrical release until 2024. Uh, so we, we've been asked not to drop a full review of it, which works for me because I've seen so many films. It's quite nice to just to do a kind of three, four minute roundup. But um, this is uh, this falls into the genre of drama, horror, thriller, LGBTQAI2S plus, according to Fantasia. Uh, it's directed by Sam H. Freeman and uh, Ng Chung Ping. And the synopsis reads Performing as the magnificent Aphrodite Banks, Jules, who's played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett, who was last seen in Candyman, uh, has become one of London's most celebrated drag artists. After show, he steps out to get some cigarettes when he's brutally attacked by a gang of homophobic blokes in black and yellow polos and matching tattoos. Although he's able to recover physically, Jules withdraws from the drag race entirely, traumatised and despondent. Month later, whilst at a gay sauna, he recognises a familiar face in the inviting mist, his attacker. Suddenly compelled to approach him, Jules goes one step further and begins dating his deeply closeted assailant, Preston, played by 1917's George McKay. Uh, He befriends him, integrates into his straight social circle and hatches a plan for revenge. Now, I read the whole synopsis out because that, you know, as a capture of you, I can't say too much more about it. The synopsis there sounds intriguing but it's, it, it, it feels almost like surface level where, oh, he recognises the face and then suddenly starts dating him. There isn't, it, it isn't quite A to B. You know, there's an A, there's, it's like A to, a to F or A to G. You've got to, there are steps in between before any of that happens. But I thought this film, John, was sensational. I thought it was really, really very good. And that's because Nathan Stewart Jarrett and George McKay are excellent. And I mean like excellent in in this film really 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 good lead performances from from the both of them there's a real tension to it it's a very raw feeling film uh very there's a raw energy there's a real kind of visceral feel to it there's uh in the in the fight scenes in the in the love scenes and there's a real kind of again you almost feel like a voyeur watching at times but the the two lead performances are genuinely fantastic george mckay you know he always impresses me when i see him a really really great up-and-coming british actor nathan stewart jarrett is incredibly good in this film as well and and together they're really good there, there are moments where it's really tense you you uh you really get kind of sucked into this world and then when the pendulum starts to swing in the narrative so too does like the power dynamic and the power shift and our allegiances don't shift per se but the lines start to get blurred. This is a very, very 
good thriller it's very unsettling um and it, again at times it's hard to watch you know uh, looking at the synopsis there a guy comes out of a drag show and gets his ass kicked by you know kind of your blokes your, you know these kind of like uh, jumped up tough guys because they just don't like the way somebody looks it is tough to watch but it's and also again similarly to stay online it's because this stuff happens day in day out there are still people out there willfully ignorant of that other people have their own lives uh can't say much more about it other than it's coming out in 2024 and i i, I recommend people going to see this when they can because i really really thought this was a fantastic film great uh, advert for british filmmaking as well and um this also won some awards uh, at, at the big festival awards on the cheval noir competition this won best director or best directors uh, and also won outstanding performance for nathan stewart jarrett so red rooms won for uh, essentially best actress and femme won for best actor and it's well deserved because Nathan Stewart Drown is very, very good in this. So when it comes out, uh, I recommend people going to see this because I thought this was a very, very compelling uh, and very hard hitting thriller. Check it out. Femme comes out next year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it sounds uh, pretty interesting. I really good. I don't know. I I don't do enough research with the festival movies because there's so many. Yeah. Um, and then like now I'm like, uh, there's already two that I'm like, should I should I cram these in? And then what if what if I get the links and I don't feel like it or I run out of time because I am like on a time crunch now because I go back uh, to work, so I am always apprehensive about taking on more than I can handle. Um, I have to wait and see if I if I feel up to it, but I, I'm definitely intrigued by this one. If it's not too late, uh, they might be like, "Nah, it's too late for you to get a link to this." You never know. Yeah, but try it anyway, if you can, but it's if, if you can do, I'd say it's worth it. It it does sound like it. Um, my next film I wish was uh more overall positive. It's not it's not negative, but it didn't quite click for me. Um, there is a trend. I have not actually watched Shin Godzilla. Nor did I watch Shin no, I Ultraman, but I have now seen Shin Kamen Rider. And I hope it's pronounced Kamen and not Kamen. I don't actually know. Um, I, I knew nothing about uh, Shin Kamen Rider, except that it was uh, in the vein of like a Power Rangers type superhero thing. Except uh, in the very first couple minutes, you realize it is a what if Power Rangers was rated R um because it is violent like heads are exploding in the opening fight sequence uh in a hateful eight-esque uh blood spill um so i didn't know what i was getting into what 100 percent the thing that doesn't work for me with this movie is it is overstuffed like this is a long-running i believe anime uh manga and uh tv series or maybe mo- series of films i'm not 100 percent sure of i didn't go into like full history but there's a lot, and I think they tried to cram like as much of it as they could into one movie, and it it feels very episodic as a result, and also overwhelming. I was just like, oh man, I am so ready for this to be over. Um, there's cool stuff in it, 
so that's what makes it worth watching. Like, um, he fights way too many different villains, like where none of them actually have, uh, it feels like it should be like episodes, right? Like where here is this week's episode, they're going to focus on this bad guy. And, um, it's slightly truncated because they're cramming in like six and, uh, the explanation for them is kind of, I, I think that's going to be very subjective if, if it works for you or not. It doesn't really for me. Uh, it also is one of those, um, it's the style where every, the internal monologue is spoken aloud. So the character is like telling you things, um, that they're thinking that doesn't really work for me stylistically. I know that is a style. It's not exclusive to this film. Often that feels really wonky, especially in a medium that is known for show don't tell this the movies like this throw that out the window completely like i'm all for internal monologue being heard as narration like blade runner i i prefer hearing decker's voiceover i think it has a noir vibe when it's there um this though it feels cheesy at times and that again uh i think it stylistically it fits but it just for me is what kept me from really embracing all of it but that said, there's some really cool visuals. There's some really great action. It's just kind of everything else that just wasn't for me. Um, if you're a fan of the the original, I can't tell you for sure that you're going to like this version of it because I don't know what they change or if it's just a reimagining um, or what. I actually don't even fully understand what the Shin part of those that because Shin Godzilla, Shin Ultraman. I know it's like something it's a deviation from the original line but i don't know how or what like i probably should google what shin means in in japan i don't know um but uh it was one of those films where i didn't mind watching it it, it was a cool experience but it's, it just was not something that i was really into and subsequently didn't love the movie because of that nope that's uh no problem whatsoever jb you don't have to love everything i haven't even seen it i have seen shin godzilla and i dug it so damn much so uh, i really thought shin godzilla was a fantastic uh, interpretation or adaptation of that story uh, i'm just having a look now shin it's the shin japan heroes universe which is a project between toho kara super uh, Subaraya productions and toei who did the first slam dunk uh, it unites four of the critically acclaimed films that were reimaginings of renowned science fiction franchises all bearing the oh. katakana title shin uh so the godzilla um and then the ones that you've just mentioned which i've forgotten about uh shin apparently and ultra there's an evangel uh evangelion um 3.0 plus 1.0 thrice upon a time is also wow. in this group what a name. but it doesn't have shin in the title for some reason but it's listed that's- on a wikipedia uh yeah that's part of the it's part of the uh, squad apparently but uh i've only seen shin godzilla and i really enjoyed that but um i'm glad you saw this one jb and we're able to give more of a um more of a review on it because i'm not sure i'm gonna have time to watch this one and based on what you've said jb i think i've heard i've heard what i need to know my man um the last one i want to throw out in my kind of main five that are not under embargo is a disturbance in the force firstly because it's star wars secondly because this was one of my five picks on the preview episode um it's all about the holiday special and how it was made the infamous 1978 cbs uh variety show to which was george lucas's way of keeping star wars in the cultural zeitgeist in between star wars slash a new hope and the empire strikes back in 1980 and um i thought this film it was charming at times a documentary 
my you know go straight into it not beat around the bush is very surface level and it, and it really is if star wars fans who who are clearly the target audience here re- otherwise kind of like pop culture uh junkies who want to who who know about the phenomenon that is the holiday special but it's a star wars slash sci-fi uh demographic it, they probably know most of this stuff. I'm not saying everybody does because I don't. JB may not have. I know, I know you saw this. You may not have known all of this, but I did. Um, just mm. by watching the holiday special, really, and this film really kind of goes into the the making of it in a fairly surface level way. Now, there were some things I learned which I thought were pretty cool, like the the change in director right at the very end. Um, Steve Binder is the listed director, but he wasn't there the whole time. Um, and I found the kind of diving into the seventies variety show aspect of the documentary. I found that interesting to see, you know, what how times were back then, how family entertainment was back then, and how actually this holiday special wasn't the most egregious thing to come out that year, let alone that decade in terms of variety. So there were lots of cool things in it, though. I mean, like a lot of the talking head interviews are are decent. You've got the kind of usual suspects. Kevin Smith is of course going to be there. Uh, Seth Green's there. You've got a lot of the people who worked on the holiday special, which is the best part. You know, people who were there, whether it's the cameraman, the director. Um, you've got archival f- uh, interview audio with the producers of this, who had no idea what they were doing, or the editors, who were the same people. Um, uh, and then he's got uh, Weird Al, the Osmonds, or Donny Osmond. That was very interesting as well. Um, it's it was good. It was pretty well done. I think some of the editing was a bit shaky at times, but it's it's made from a place of love, which is the takeaway I got from this. It isn't The People versus George Lucas, which is just a, an awful documentary, which is which exists just to spread ne- negativity and hatred. This isn't that. People are having fun. People are joking about the holiday special. Look, it ain't great, and people know that, but they're having fun with it. They, there's, there's like a heartwarming, jovial nature to it. Uh, and they even try to tell you at the end, kind of, this isn't a spoiler, but uh, for a documentary, but you know, they say like, is it that bad? Maybe it, maybe it's not because like the Mandalorian and John Favreau, they're embracing this stuff. Now we wouldn't have had Boba Fett, which is true. Um, it's, it, it, it's made from the right place and made from a place of passion. But for me, I would have actually liked to see more about how the star Wars holiday special happened and the making of rather than kind of walking through sequences that I already know, and, and have an understanding of and that isn't me being a oh i know everything it's well i, I know b arthur and art carney are in this scene and it's nice to hear them quickly say that they thought it was really odd but kind of wanted a little bit more behind the eyes but it's it's, it's a fun documentary if it isn't maybe the most earth shattering in terms of kind of depth or revelation but uh i thought it was okay it's fine what about yourself jb i know you saw this um, I liked it. Uh, I knew that you would have probably known all the things. I didn't know a lot about it. I've never seen the holiday special. Um, Jesus. Obviously, though, it's still like it's very much in my awareness because it's one of those like mythical legends that if you like Star Wars at all, you know it exists and thus uh, you know it. I didn't know all the history stuff. I didn't know about how like it was basically buried. I also didn't know. I found the stuff leading up to the holiday special to be the most interesting, though, like how basically uh the the company didn't know how to handle the success that star wars was and they were just like yeah put it on all the variety shows and (laughs) um i thought that stuff was really fun and i didn't know about a lot of those things um even the poster i think on the fantasia website is the picture of donnie and marie and i did i was like 
were they on the holiday special? I thought they had the original cast on the holiday special. Oh, um, and so when I started watching the movie, I'm like, oh, they do have the original cast in the holiday special. This was before the holiday special. And I thought that was really interesting. So, um, yeah, I, I found the documentary to be well-made, well-constructed. The interviews are great because you just have, like you listed, the personalities are just really strong. Um, it, it is weird how Kevin just seems to end up on documentaries. Like, they have oh, no, nothing I mean- to do with him. He just shows up. Like It's almost like he's waiting around for documentary filmmakers to call him. Like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> and it's not a bad thing. I, I, you know, Kevin's a talker. Obviously, he's a great storyteller. I don't think he does. Uh, I don't think he gets a lot to say here. Uh, where nope. Seth Green obviously has worked with Lucasfilm a lot because of the uh, Robot Chicken and then the um, stuff he's done recently. Um, but I, I found his insights to be really fun. Um, yeah, I think good documentary, especially if you aren't as versed um in the the history of uh the holiday special but yes, i'd agree with that um a documentary i didn't love uh because it is the most akin to skinnamarink of all the <laughs> other movies i've seen this year um in that it is a weird conceit uh of a film and i don't think it's necessary uh the entirety of the film is shown in a circle in the middle of your screen um, that initially makes sense because it is supposed to resemble. And in fact, you are watching primarily uh, doorbell camera footage um, of real life stuff. So like the first third of the movie is, is not found footage, but acquired footage from actual uh, doorbell cameras um, okay. with a commentary on surveillance in our culture today and how it has evolved to become this uh, kind of, terrifying thing that the filmmaker i think uh who is graham arnfield um who does this kind of weird uh stylistic like he's more of like an art installation filmmaker than he is a filmmaker and uh one of the things the movie is predominantly silent outside of there's like there's music and you hear some of the sounds in the the videos but the subjects that you're supposed to be getting is text and the text also only appears in the circle. So 90% of the real estate of the screen is black and has no purpose, um, which, again, at first seems okay. But when you realize you're reading an essay <laughs> that's in this little circle, it does become very daunting yep. and I think less impactful Um than what it could have been. There's some interesting elements because it's not just the found footage. Cause at first when I was watching this, I'm like, there's YouTube channels that do this. Why do I need to watch a movie about this? Uh, it does deviate from that. And it, in, in the second act, if you will, it's, it's not quite evenly broken into three acts, but it's very three distinct parts. The second act is a lot of horror movie footage that depicts home invasion type scenes in film. Um, and how that has played on the fear and why surveillance is becoming so abundant in our society and what the real problem of surveillance is. There's like, there's substance here. I just don't think this is the most impactful medium in which to deliver the message the film is trying to deliver. And I also don't think its message is, I don't think he sticks the landing. I think like he dances around the idea and it never quite comes to fruition in an impactful way. And thus, for me, it's it's it was 92 minutes that I wish I'd spent doing something else. Um, but I can do- totally see if like if you like the uh, avant-garde skinnamarink, maybe this will really click for you. If you like 
you know, this, I don't know if you really are into like security footage, some of it's going to click for you. The third act is anim is not even animation. It's drawings in the circle. Again, I really wish he would have deviated from the circle. I think the circle makes sense for the the footage from the doorbell. And then I think you need to, okay, that's over. Let's get into the full screen because it just doesn't pay. It doesn't give anything to the film. Like, like, Oh, we're watching this through a peephole. So what? It doesn't add the impact that you're going for. It's just wasteful um, for the space. But there's also, I've watched my, my friend has had the, the ring doorbell for years and I've seen like, he'll show me like, Hey, this happened. And you don't watch it as a, as a peephole. It's a full screen display. Cause it's a, it's a fisheye and it gets a wide angle of the space. So it's not shown as a circle. So it's even like a weird conceit. Yeah. This isn't how these videos look when you watch them. Nope. So it, it doesn't make sense in a, in a big picture kind of thing. It's obviously an aesthetic choice. I just don't think it, it has the impact that it's going for. That's home invasion. Uh, I don't need to beleaguer that it didn't work for me. I don't recommend it. Um, you know, watch if you're, I, I think there's probably better sp- like maybe Ted talks about the trouble of surveillance and our and surveillance's impact on our relationships as humanity, how we are mistrusting of each other, partly because we're so paranoid. Um, and also what they do with all the, the video footage that's stored in the cloud. So I'm sure there's probably, I don't know for a fact, but I just imagine there's probably more impactful studies out there than this 92 minute documentary. I did save 92 minutes, John, by not watching it and letting you watch it instead. And yeah. then I, then you messaged me about it, and I was like, do you know what? I, I do not fancy watching this. So thank you for suffering for your art, JB, for the BAMP. Yep. For yep. the BAMP. Um, moving on then, JB. Honourable mentions. I'll, I'll blast through the first one of mine. Yep. Um, the first honourable mention I've got is a film called Apocalypse Clown, which is an Irish you know, comedy. Obviously, it's about clowns. It's... The, con- the conceit of the film is you're led to believe that the world is coming to an end or the world has come to an end. Something's happened. And the only people that are left is this kind of hodgepodge troop of clowns and a few other scattered uh, peoples uh, who are, uh, are going to try and come together to reclaim society. And then you've got one greedy clown who wants to really um, reclaim his throne and almost become like the de facto leader. Um, and, uh, it's fine. It's, it's pretty good. It's, uh, it's very bonkers. The film is very gonzo. It's got some, it's got a weird, and I mean that in a kind of, um, in an alluring way. It's a weird cast of clowns. You've got a killer clown. You've got a, uh, kind of pretentious art clown. You've got, um, our lead who is pretty much just following his libido in terms of what he's doing. Um, and some of the jokes work, some don't. Some of the kind of action-y scenes work. Some don't. Uh, I thought the film was... Uh, I thought it could have done more, actually, with its setting. Ireland is such a beautiful country. I just kind of wish they'd shown a bit more of the expanse of Ireland in this kind of apocalypse, dystopian world they want you to believe that we're living in. Um, yeah, there's some, for some moments made me laugh out loud and others which I kind of winced at because I thought, oh, that just does, does not work. Um, I think you're the same as me. The character of Funzo, played by uh, Natalie Paliak, Paliamides, the comedian, is a standout. She's very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what is immediately introduced, trying to <laughs> trying to pull a kid into a tent, uh, which is very funny. Um, I just think it went on a bit too long, and 
it uh it, it didn't quite overstate as welcome for me it didn't quite hit every beat it set out to it was very british in terms of some of the gags as well it's it, 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 it's okay it's uh, it, it's one of the better clown comedies i've seen in a long time because i haven't seen any other than this one <laughs> um but it, it's decent i think i gave it like seven out of ten because i think it's better than average when it works it's fun i just think it went on a bit too long but apocalypse clown gets an honorable mention i, I know you saw this one too jb yeah, I also uh I um I can't remember what was her clown's name. Um Funzo. Funzo. By far the the best part of the movie. Uh she cracked me up every single time she spoke. <laughs> uh everything she did I thought was hilarious. Um partly because it was playing on the uh the weird cultural phenomenon where clowns have become a nightmare for most people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's just the epitome of the nightmare and blissfully unaware. And that just worked for me. Um, it, it was so funny. Uh, she's so wild. Um, there's so much like uh, even later in the film when, when they start like breaking down the existential elements of being a clown, I thought it was really funny. Yeah. Just um, not a perfect film, but a lot of good stuff. I also though, the lead guy uh, 20, like 20 years ago, that would have been Simon Pegg. Yes. Like I just feel like he's got such Simon Pegg energy um, that I also liked him because I like Simon Pegg a lot. And I was just like, man, this feels like early Simon Pegg stuff. Like Simon would have done this movie in a heartbeat, heartbeat pre like Shaun of the Dead, you know, um, maybe even a couple of years after Shaun of the Dead. But now it's too big. You know, he's working with Tom Cruise. He didn't got time for this, but he ain't got time for that. But it's, it's fine. It's not bad. It's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very uh, entertaining. Um, solid movie. Yes. Uh, what's your uh, first HM? My first honorable mention is uh, with love and a major organ um, movie that I believe Matt, you didn't love uh, or have the organ uh, for it. But um, I, there is so much about this. It's a quirky sci-fi rom-com with the ROM being, I think both the ROM and the com being maybe my interpretation. Cause it's only listed as a drama on Letterboxd. I'm like, no, it's clearly designed to be funny at times right like um but uh it's definitely a romance at the heart of it however i think the way the film plays out it's not leaning into that as its focus but love and this desire to be loved is a huge part of the film and the main character there's a sequence where she she's a painter um she's speaking into a tape recorder it is modern day but she's still and it's, it's also like not our world at all um but it's it's a version of earth, I guess you could say, but it's not this earth. Um, and she's speaking into it. She's reading a poem basically into a tape recorder. And that whole scene, just like, I'm like, this is on my wavelength in every way. I love everything about the sequence. It's weird. It's quirky. I love the poem. I love the, uh, the sincerity behind what she's doing. The sentiment is real. Um, and I, I relate to the characters in a lot of ways. And, um, I thought the exploration of self was powerful and I, I just enjoyed the experience. Um, it's 91 minutes. I Somehow it still feels like maybe it does overstay in some sequences. Like it takes a little longer than it should to get places. But I thought the two leads, Anna McGuire and uh, ooh, Hamza Hawk, H-A-Q, Hack. Yes, sir. Um, I thought were both really, really good. Uh, the other performances are, are hit or miss, but I think the 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 sci-fi element kind of justifies some of the uh, the, the deliveries because it's like, yeah, everything's a little weird because it's not 
our world per se, but um, it did work for me. I am obviously a sucker for rom-com. So uh, that's uh, honorable mention with love and a major organ. <laughs> There's a visual organ. I, c- I wanted to rip out whilst watching it. I, c- I just, uh, it just didn't work for me, JB. I'm not going to dunk on the film. It didn't work for me. Uh, though it is one of the ones I requested because I think the premise was, I think the premise is great. Um, I really do. It just, it just didn't click whatsoever for me, but I'm glad it did for you, JB. That's what it's all about. Um, the, uh, the second honourable mention I went for is a film called Insomniacs After School. Uh, I keep going to call it Insomniacs After Dark, so I'm really having to not say that. But um, this is a film directed by Chihiro Akida. And, you know, I remember going to school and thinking, man, I can't wait to sleep through this lesson. As a teacher, John probably hates me saying that, but um, <laughs> I never did. But Insomniacs After School, it's... It, it, the title is right there. It follows it follows two school kids who are insomniacs, but they kind of feel like they're the only ones out there. And one of them has found a refuge in the um, a kind of abandoned astronomy department at the top of the building. And then when the other one kind of stumbles across it and they find that they're kindred spirits, they they strike up a friendship and they want to and they think, well, how do we? How can we? Uh, and the reason they go to the the astronomy. Uh, department sorry is so they can sleep during school is so during breaks they can go and sleep because of course they can't sleep in the evening so they're like how can we do this without getting caught how can we do this without like breaking the rules so they decide to start an astronomy club but but make sure that they are the only two members who are there um and it's an incredibly sweet film it's an easy watch it doesn't uh it it, it isn't kind of like an emotional film which will make you cry or make you really feel the real feels but it's not a boring film either. It won't, it won't make you go to sleep. I think the uh, it's a very much a slice of life uh, film uh, more than any other genre. It, it gets a little bit melodramatic in terms of the reasoning as to why these two kids can't sleep during the evening, where I think they needed something just to pad out what was otherwise a very thin story. Kind of wish I hadn't done that because I preferred the uh, I preferred the the bonding between the two leads, Daikon Akadira and Nana Mori. I think they're very sweet together. I think they've got very good chemistry. Um, but yeah, trying to explain the reasons behind their insomnia. I was like, I don't need that. I just prefer them being awkward teens who tolerate each other's company and then become friends and maybe a little bit more, but it's, it's a fairly, it's an easy watch JB. It's, you won't come out of it thinking, you know, about the subject of the film or about, Oh man, I didn't tie up that uh, loose end or anything like that. It's not that kind of film. It is just two people who can't sleep who become friends and form a very, very strong and close connection. And it's very sweet. Uh, and it, I, I chose it for that reason. It was an easy watch, and uh, I, I finished watching it thinking that was nice. Moved on to the next film, but I was like, yeah, I enjoyed it. That was not a nice film. So, Insomniacs After School is my second honorable mention, John. Um, my second honorable mention is Restore Point, a uh, movie I know you also saw but didn't like as much as myself or Tuna, um, Tuna. a sci-fi film that I was blown away um, because at a festival, I don't expect sci-fi to look like it's got a budget. And this one does mm-hmm. in weird ways. Um, there's so much little detail. Like there's a, p- a part that when it happened, I couldn't like, – I was just like, Wow. Um, it shows the outside of a building and like it's futuristic. So like the building has like holographic text that's like scrolling on the side of the building, which, you know, it's an after effects type effect. It doesn't require 
tons, but it does take time and you have to, you still have to do it. And any visual effects takes time. And that's often where uh, movies, I mean, a lot of the complaints we hear about like the big blockbusters and their visual effects not looking good is because they didn't give the artist time to do it. And so in that scene, yes, if the the text is thrown on the building, it looks good to me. I think it looks futuristic and, and cool. But what blew my mind was there's a guy walking in the bottom left of the frame wearing a hoodie and his hoodie is doing the same thing. His hoodie has also got scrolling text on it. And I'm like, okay, that's a cool detail that is like unnecessary. You didn't have to go that hard on the visual and you did. And it just like, I'm like, there's a lot of love in this. And I think that's true of the whole film. I think there's a clear love of the genre um, it obviously pays homage. It's impossible not to reference Blade Runner whenever you have like a futuristic setting. Um, the The premise is really interesting. We watched um, a Korean film on Netflix in the last year that had a similar premise of uh, kind of like this, the social classes having access to better um, yep. medical support and uh, better versions of like essentially a backup of yourself. So if you die, there is a, better like you you're not gone like they can bring you back here you have uh 48 hours like as long as you have a 48 hour backup of your brain and you Mm -hmm. die they can bring you back um and it's an interesting premise and then uh the big conceit i think in the film is the main the company is wanting to privatize and there's a debate about well if you privatize it'll only be available for those who have the money and right now it's available for everybody and then there's like well yeah yeah but if we privatize, we can make it live. And so like anytime you die, you'll have a live backup of who you are. And it gets into a lot of interesting ethical conundrums. Um, I don't know again that it fully connects with all of those, but I think it's still worth thinking about. And it's, it's very clear how that plays into today's world and the ever dividing uh, upper and lower class with the middle class being all but erased in most cultures, at least in America. Um, and so there's a lot to uh, kind of digest and and I thought the performances were solid. Um, and I found it really uh, an impressive entry in the film festival. Um, yeah, this one didn't quite work for me. I didn't dislike it. I just, uh, it just felt a little bit uh, plodding to me. I'll agree. I think, you know, visually for a festival film without sounding, trying to sound derogatory, I, yes. I'm based on exactly what you say this at budgets aren't always huge. Um, because they're usually calling cards, but I think yeah, I think the film has an impressive look to it, and I love the conceit of it. I think it was at Jung E we saw the film on Netflix, which had a similar vibe. Um, this one feels a little bit more grounded than that one did, but yeah, this didn't quite vibe for me. Of course, the Blade Runner uh, comparisons are unavoidable, and I put in my review that where the the lead in this film, I think she's good. But I, I just couldn't connect with Ryan, and I feel like the film was kind of holding me at arm's length. Where I know people have said the same about Ryan Gosling's K in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but there was a real humanity to that film, which really struck a real nerve. And um, they're part of the same genre, so comparisons will only ever be natural. But yeah, I didn't didn't dislike this film, JB. But um, I think I was maybe hoping for a little bit more. I get that. Uh, my last one, JB, last honourable mention. I, I started struggling by this point because some of the better films I've seen are still under embargo. So I went with this film because I picked it in my preview, in one of the five films I wanted to see. It was between this or hashtag manhole, but I went for uh, where the de- well, I went for where the devil roams, which won the Cheval Noir competition 
uh, prize for best cinematography. And this is a film by the wonderfully told Adams family, which is um, Zelda Adams, John Adams and Tyler Posey. They, they were at Fantasia a couple of years ago with Hellbender, which a lot of people tell me is very, very good. Uh, and I also get the impression that where the devil roams is a very different film to that one. That was a lot more uh, of a film. This is more of a, kind of poetry in motion type thing. It's very abstract. Uh, And I said in the preview that this film's either going to be great or it's going to be a bit artsy. And it's, it is the latter. It is very artsy. It's not, I mean, not, not to the point where it's unbearable. It follows uh, a, a a struggling family. It's not a struggle, a family of carnies uh, on the carnival circuit, which is dying in the Prussian era America. You know, the, the industries and what it was and they're trying to cling on to the last vestiges of it um but along the way they they let they leave a big old body count um against anyone who tries to get between the family or if they simply well, that's a nice house i want to stay there tonight owner dead that kind of thing um it does look good that's one of the things i did put in my review is it does look really very good again this is shot on a budget like most of the other films uh, it's got some very good gore some very high quality horror effects that do belie the the uh, the lower budget and it does look visually delicious and i think it's the sound is good as well the the music is all done by the adams family themselves i think the band is called hellbender uh, so i really like, don't da, 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 da. Dead, dead. I made I made I made an Adams family joke and review and I, and actually like, literally had to stop myself whilst I was writing and I even put it in there like, I'll, I'll stop now it's even spelled differently but um the band the, the music's really good actually I really dug the music this felt more like an advertisement for the band the family's music I really really enjoyed that uh, but it looks good but it it's uh, and and it transitions from color to black and white and there's reasons why uh, but the story is pretty weak the story is very weak in fact it's very uninteresting. It's only about a 90 minute film, but goddamn, does it feel a lot longer than that? The story isn't very coherent either. Um, there are some like re- very, very like kind of creepy sequences. And the final shot of this film is really very good. You know, it's almost like they saved everything for that final shot to, to really nail you, to really get you. But, uh, I just wish that there was a story and I don't, and that isn't, isn't, uh, overly critical. I don't think because since posting my review, I've gone on to other reviews and seen, the people who aren't as keen on it have said the similar thing or even the people who, who do love this film have said yeah it's light on story but it makes up for in this kind of poetic ambiance which will work for some and won't work for others for me i'm kind of stuck in the middle more co- positive only because i thought the visuals and the music were great but yeah where the devil roams had had its moments but i just wish they'd the adams family had really kind of nailed down a, a bit of a weightier story to go along with it and i think we could have been talking about something which is very decent but uh where the devil roams is is a good film if i could have picked a couple of other ones uh that weren't under embargo then this film wouldn't have been on the list jb but it's Ah. it's okay so my last one is a movie that i know will not work for everyone (laughs) and in fact i believe it didn't work for you um but I also know that if it does work for you, you will have a blast. Um, Onyx, the Fortuitous, and the Talisman of Souls. Uh, I actually saw this way back at Sundance. Uh, I bought a digital ticket to watch it online um, at Tuna's Recommendation, which, uh, again, a theme on these episodes. Um, and 
man, Andrew Bowser is the the writer, director, and star. He plays the titular character of Onyx the Fortuitous. And that is what I, I will always recommend is go check out his uh, Instagram or his uh, TikTok. I forgot what TikTok was called for a second. Uh, I think there's a YouTube channel and watch him play Onyx and see if it annoys you. Because if you can't make it through a minute long TikTok, you're not making it through a two hour movie, hands down. Um, there's other really good performances in this. I think uh, Rivica Reyes, who was in School of Rock as the bass player all those many years ago, um, is kind of uh, the female lead of the film for the most part. Um, there's a couple, though, to be fair. It's, it's not just her. Barbara Crampton is also in this movie uh, yes. twice. Uh, um, this movie uh, has some really great practical effects. It's very 80s in its style. Uh, like reminds me of like a Joe Dante type vibe. Um but the humor just really clicked for me. I, I, there are several scenes in this film that still, uh, months later, I, I think about um, there's a <laughs> particular Michael Bay joke that just shattered me when it happened in the movie. I was laughing so hard. Um, and I've never, I've, I've not been able to forget it all year long. It's still probably one of my favorite comedies of this year. Um, maybe, I don't know for sure if that, that might be too strong of a statement, but I really, really enjoyed this movie. I, again, though, huge disclaimer, no, it is not going to work for everybody, but I, I would say give it a go. Go At least go check out the the social media stuff. See if, if his style of humor and the character interests you, and if it does, then seek this movie out, because I do believe it's got distribution um, now. I don't know when it's going to be available, but I do think it has distribution, so hopefully... Uh, other people can love it or hate it because that does seem it seems very polarizing um, on letterbox it's like a few people three stars but it's a lot of like five stars two stars one and a half star um it seems to be the extremes uh for this particular movie and i get that again i right away i think even i told you matt i'm like i don't know if you'll like it or not but i really like it yeah um i didn't know it's, it's i felt i felt shame after i'd finished watching it because i really wanted to tell jb i loved it and I, I thought, oh, John's going to hate me. This is this is the end of the BAMP now. And I didn't hate the film. No, I didn't hate the film. Um, the yeah, the, the the titular character is a lot. Um, and I actually preferred it when he didn't do the shtick, you know, because there are times when he wasn't doing the voice or the the catchphrases, which I think wore very thin for me. And that was the problem was if you don't know the character, a lot of it will just be like, what the hell is going on? Um, uh, but I did like the ensemble side of it. I did like the practical effects. I thought they were bonkers good. Um, I like the premise. I do like the throwback feel to it as well. Um, it's another film which I think is also too long. But um, I, I, I kind of also wish that I know it's it, it is the the title in itself tells you everything it, it, you need to know once about the story once you've seen it. But I do kind of wish it had just been more of this ensemble cast are, are summoned to this mansion and it becomes more like a murder mystery type thing, which I thought it was going to be. I would have dug that more so, but um, yes, I can't, I can't um, come out now and say, I love the film. I wanted to JB. It started off funny because I sent you a message saying, Oh, I'm in because there was a fart joke. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. Nearly 40 years old. This is it. Um, but it kind of felt for me, it fell apart during it, um, which I can only ever be honest. And JB knows that. Uh, didn't hate it, but I kind of was hoping for that bit more. However, I said it already on this show. I am very pleased to hear though that JB found that much joy out of it. That is that means more to me than me not vibing about as much as I wanted to. That Jay, because I know how much you dig this film. Yeah, and again, uh, no, uh, 
our opinions are going to vary and I get it. Um, it his, I don't know, man. I don't even know what it is about it that really clicks for me. Cause I can totally see why people don't like it, but it is just, it just worked. Uh, and I enjoy, it might've been, sometimes you watch a movie and it's just like, you're in the right wavelength for yes. it. And other times it's the opposite. You watch something, you're like, I think I would normally like this, but I'm just not in the mood for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's what happened with Onyx. It might've been, I was just like, it was the right time when I checked it out. But yeah, I, I, uh, I still like it. So that's, that's uh, our reviews folks. This episode has gone a little longer than our normal episodes, which we kind of anticipated. Yeah. Um, so we are going to jump from our uh, reviews into the end of the episode. So we're not going to have headlines or consumption uh, this week, but no worries. Next week, we are going to return to our usual format. We know we just did the double episode of Oppenheimer and Barbie or Barbenheimer um, mm-hmm. or Oppen, Oppie. Op, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, either way, uh, this week we're having another deviation from the normal format. We will return to our usual format next week, so don't sweat. Uh, but before we go, we still need to check in because this is an essential part of this show. We got to know how are we staying bloody awesome. Matt, I'd like to know what are you doing to keep the bloody awesome levels at optimal performance? Well, I have been spending a lot of time watching Fantasia Films, JB, which as we just heard is... A mixed bag, as is any festival. So, whilst watching it, my phone decided to tell me the battery's about to die. And I'm not paying for a new battery on a phone, which is quite old now. So when I got a new phone, I don't even know what the model is. It's a fairly new one. I can't tell you what the model is, because I don't know. Uh, but I, something about getting a new phone, JB, which is it's exciting. I don't know why. Even though it's exactly the same as my old one, just about seven years newer, and the, li- and the screen's a little bit wider, it, it, it looks smoother. It runs a bit faster. Uh, John's John's photos come through the clarity now, so I can see I can see his manliness uh, reaching out through the screen. But um, actually, it also gave me the cho- chance to go through all my, all of my old photos more than anything, rather than the kind of other downloads and stuff uh, from the last few years to try and weed out what I don't need, delete them, keep the ones of of my daughter and and stuff as well. And I was like, do you know what, oh, man, there's some really cool things on there, like photos, which I just forgot all about um, in amongst doing the kind of like yeah, the clerical side of it. I was like, oh, damn, this is really quite cool. So in amongst getting the excitement of a new phone, which will wear off by tomorrow, I'm sure, um, it, I came in the trust to go back and see photos about four or five years ago, which I, I always, you know, I, I, I keep all of the, like everyone does, keep photos of my kid when she was still like a little kid. But it's, I don't often go back to look at them at the minute because they're just scattered all over my phone and all like, all different folders everywhere. And I am trying to compile them all together now. But it was so fun just to kind of sit back for half an hour and just be like, God damn, remember those days? That was that was so cool. Obviously, I wouldn't change anything for the world or or, or anything. But I was like, man, that was, there were some good times of a little one there. Uh, so I had a, a jolt of um, happiness there, John. I really enjoyed that. Plus the excitement of getting a new phone. So pretty oh, yeah. much it's I've been fun. watching films and getting a new phone. Uh, but yourself, John, hopefully yours is a little bit more active or fun. I also got, no, um, yeah. uh, no, it's not fun. Um, it's just getting back to work mindset. Uh, it's not even like I said, prep, but like realistically, like I'm not, I'm not working. I, I established during, uh, the lockdown of COVID, uh, 19 back in 2020, um, that I needed to have boundaries of work and, uh, home and, teaching is a career that really pushes that all the time because you are expected to grade on your own time. You're expected to really plan on your own time. And 
uh, after many years of teaching and teaching a subject I am very, very knowledgeable in, I've gotten to a point where I don't bring a lot of work home. It never, like my brain doesn't leave it, uh, but I don't do a lot of work from home if I can avoid it. Um, yeah. And the one exception is often the beginning of the school year where you kind of have, there's just so much to do and there's just never enough time that you feel almost like a sense of obligation. And I've been trying to not do that. It, I keep getting like existential dread about work coming back. Um, and, uh, and working in a state right now where the, the future of our profession is in jeopardy. Um, and, uh, so getting mentally prepared has been a struggle. And the one thing, the one positive um, that has, I, I've been for the first time in a long time dreading it. And it, um, I've always, there's parts of the job I've always hated. Like, I think there's so much bureaucratic nonsense with paperwork and stuff that is just not necessary for teaching yet. Somebody decided that it was, um, but I've always loved my students. So I've always been able to ignore the bad parts and just accept the good and um, that this year, it, it hasn't been enough until uh, just last evening, I got a message from a student I've never had before. He's uh, he will be a junior, but um, he's taking my IB film class and uh, he's never taken a film class before. And he was a little nervous and uncertain of what to expect, excited, but nervous. And <laughs> um, the enthusiasm and the desire to like reach out to me and ask questions um, and we had a back and forth exchange with email, uh, you know, what are your favorite movies? And, um, I was like, okay, cool. I got a good read for what he's into and gave him some suggestions of what to check out. Um, and then gave him some like IB film, like here's some examples of the assessments that we're going to do that you can use to kind of give yourself an idea of what we're going to be getting into. And it really, um, it really worked, uh, to kind of get me excited because one student, is looking forward to the subject matter. And that's enough, I guess, to get me pumped back up. So um, getting mentally prepared and then having that student reach out was, it was, I almost want to say necessary. Cause I, I think if I was, if I hadn't got that email, it, it would feel like a lot more weight on my shoulders about the upcoming start of the school year than I currently feel thanks to that email. So Thank you, young man. If you happen to choose to listen to this podcast at any point, I did not do that. I did not like, well, you should listen to my podcast. Um, Disappointing. I, I could have, but I, well, you know, uh, I didn't want his first impression to be me like pushing my, my product on him. All of the reviews of all the movies that I've written. Um, <laughs> well, he's going to have a hell of a time when he's in your class because we all know JB is the best damn film teacher on this planet, let alone any oh, planet. Yes but uh yeah so that is how i've been saying bloody awesome and folks i got good news for you because next week we're going to be talking about the new teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant yeah. mayhem the animated feature uh produced and has seth rogan in it as well um i think seth rogan and evan goldberg is a uh, frequent collaborator co-wrote the script with a few other names though it's not just the two of them um i've already seen it and why I say it's good news is if you haven't, go to your nearest multiplex and check it out because it is a good time at the movies, especially if you are a turtle fan like myself. Um, it is it is top tier. Um, I really, uh, really hope everyone gives the movie a chance. I don't know if uh, I, I feel like when they dropped the initial posters, people were hyped for it. But I feel like maybe it's just 
Barbie mayhem may have covered it up. Uh, mm-hmm. So I hope people are aware it's even coming out. It's it's out right now. In fact, um, at most multiplexes because it was a weird Wednesday release. So they've done the preview on on Tuesday uh, here in the states. So it's out. And I think Matt said it was uh, it opened on Monday in in the UK. So. It did, yeah. Go it opened see on it. Monday. Yeah, I was I was supposed to see it on Sunday at a screening in London, but uh, I couldn't make it, so I would have seen it as well. Um, but I'm very I, I, like just like you, I I was grew up with the turtles, so very very excited to watch it. Hopefully, enjoy it and talk about it next week. Yes, uh, we will be discussing the new Teenage Mutant Ninja movies on our next episode. Um, in the meantime, though, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Did you go to Fantasia Fest? Were you at the festival? Did you make a movie there? Are you an 18-year-old director who just wants to talk to other people about mm-hmm. filmmaking? Well, hit us up on social medias, uh, on Instagram and threads. We are at Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. And on X? Uh, we are at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast on Twitter. X. I, I feel like I, I don't want to encourage the change because it feels dumb. Uh, mm-hmm. It feels dumb to have one of the biggest recognized brands on the planet and then change it. Uh, I was listening to a Lady Gaga song earlier the other day, John, this morning, as I do. I love Gaga. And it, and one of the songs from like 2013, maybe I think it's the Art Pop album, explicitly says the words, retweet this or retweet my song like that. And I was like, wow, Dude. how quaint does that sound now? Well, think like, imagine if, photo- if Adobe was just like, we're not going to call it Photoshop anymore. It's a verb now. Yeah, like yeah. photoshopping an image is a verb like yeah. it is not you know people aren't even referring to the software half the time when they say that image is photoshopped yeah. they just mean it's been altered Manipulated, it's replaced yeah. another word tweet is the same thing tweet and retweet are they are i mean that that is branding that you clearly money can't buy because it did and it absolutely screwed it up it's just an ego trip yes. from a middle-aged idiot but yeah because calling it wild. x's doesn't even say it doesn't flow i'm gonna x that the what what are you yeah, gonna do uh, you're gonna break you up don't with tweet it like, anymore you post which is which is now just the same as any other social network which twitter twitter in its heyday was probably the best of them but alas because, I especially when it was at its yeah it was, i i did that my bad anyways <laughs> we're still on facebook as well bloody awesome movie podcast um if you like the show we ask that you take a minute and rate and review the podcast give us that five star rating and if you like us we say you can follow us individually too. I am at burkreviews.com and at burkreviews on all the social media platforms, uh, even X. Matt, um, where can they find you? Uh, what I watch tonight.co.uk and all of the socials, including X and Letterbox. Search what I watch tonight. And um, that's our show, folks. With that, we encourage you to keep watching movies and stay bloody awesome. Blood, 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 bloody. Blood, 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 bloody.